You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Today, we're, uh, we're stepping into the Lenten season. And uh, this is such a valuable time of the year that uh, we can easily miss with our busy schedules. And we're kind of kicking off a new series today called Becoming Like Jesus. And, and as we walk through the Lenten season, this is an opportunity to step back and reflect on who Jesus was and what he's called us to do. And while, uh, you know, Lent can be seen as almost a religious time, it, it shouldn't really be about the relig- ritual or religious practice as much as it is about preparation. So Lent, if you're not familiar, is 40 days out from Easter. And for those 40 days, it's an opportunity to kind of step back to reflect on what Christ has done on Easter and how that affects us and what God is speaking to us. And I would encourage you over these next six weeks as we walk toward Easter, it's six weeks. So if you're like trying to get gifts for your kids or all that, you've got six weeks, the timer is clicking. So start moving on that, order on Amazon now um, and get it ready to go. Um, but I would encourage you during these next six weeks as we walk toward Easter to be intentional and take extra time. Maybe get up a little earlier for these next six weeks and spend some extra time in prayer. Uh, maybe walk through a version reading plan, a Lenten version reading plan on your, on your phone. Or, or, or take some time. One of the apps I love is the Dwell app where you can meditate on God's Word. They're reading God's Word with some music behind it. You can stop and just reflect and breathe and meditate on God's Word. Whatever it looks like for you, take some extra time during this Lenten season to listen to what God is speaking, to reflect on what God is doing, and to hear what God is calling you to do. This is a great opportunity. We can rush past it. It's not about the religious practice and ritual. I love fish fries. I don't know if you do, but I love fish fry season. We're in that. But it's not about all of that. It's ultimately about stepping back and preparing ourselves for Easter and reflecting on what God is wanting to do. And as we walk toward Easter as a church, we're, we're looking at five lessons that we can learn from Jesus each weekend in this series called Becoming Like Jesus. And we're going to be talking about Jesus and his father, Jesus and his friends, Jesus and his team, Jesus uh, and the outcasts, and Jesus and money. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks. As we start looking today at Jesus and his father, it's important for us to, to look at how Jesus' ministry began. Uh, yes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but in Scripture, we have this big gap uh, in Jesus' life. From the moment he was 12 years old, where he was found by his parents in the temple courts, until he's about 30 years old. There's, there's a gap. And as he kind of reappears or reemerges uh, at the age of 30, he finds himself outside uh, the city of Jerusalem in the lower Jordan Valley, where his cousin John was baptizing people. And, and this is a place where Jesus' public ministry would ultimately begin. Now, let me speak for a minute about beginnings, because this is really important. Beginnings are so important. You know, yeah, how you finish does matter, but starting in the right way in the right direction can have a big impact on how you finish. For example, try making a cake and start with the wrong ingredients. Like, instead of putting sugar, put some salt. Or instead of baking soda, use baking powder. I'm told those are two different things. I can't say I have experience, but am I right? They're two different things. Don't use those interchangeably. You've, you've learned something today. Um, 
at, at, at the moment you use those raw ingredients, you put like a, a cup full of salt instead of a cup full of sugar or baking soda instead of baking powder. At that point, there's not really much you can do to kind of recover. It's kind of the, the deed is done. The, the, the cake or whatever it is is kind of ruined. Uh, or or, or, or uh, you, you, can, you can like try to offset the horrible taste of salt, but it's kind of set. And, and it's, 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 it's an evidence that uh, even with the best ingredients, you can't really make up for that poor start to making that cake. Or, or take, for example, the Winter Olympics. Those just finished up. I loved watching downhill, downhill skiing, and one of the heralded skiers, American skiers, going into the Winter Olympics this year was uh, Michaela Schifrin. Michaela um, had won multiple medals in, in previous uh, games, winter games. And uh, this year, uh, she goes into the, this elite skier, had mishaps, right at the beginning of two of her races. Both of those races were a complete loss. She finished both those races really well, but it was her start that ruined it. She st- but, but because she started poorly, everything went south. And here's, here's the idea. How you start uh, shows what you value most. How you start at things shows what you value most. When you go on a trip, the things you do first to prepare uh, show what's really important to you. Like, do you set your schedule first of what you're going to do? You're a planner. That's important to you. Do you plan out what outfits you're going to wear, what clothes you're going to wear? You know, that's important to you maybe. Do you plan out, like, who you're going to see, the people you're going to meet with or hang out with or spend time with? That's important to you. How you start shows what you value most. And this was true for Jesus. He could have started his ministry in a lot of different ways. He, he could have had this big press conference to announce Jerusalem's newest rabbi, share how potential students could apply to study under him, uh, that people can follow his ministry and follow him on all the socials at hashtag JesusMinistry.com and like everyone could have followed him. Or, or he could have this big crusade in downtown Jerusalem where thousands of people would gather and he could have shared the, the countercultural way of life that he became known for and kind of launched in that way like a big push. But, but he didn't do either of those because those weren't his top priorities. It wasn't about the marketing. It wasn't about the crowds. Instead, he goes out into the wilderness to have his cousin John baptize him. Why does he do this? We'll see how the story unfolds in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Here's what it says. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Now, it's really fascinating that Jesus would go to John to be baptized for for a number of reasons, but specifically, uh, it's interesting because John's baptism was one of repentance. Now, if you're not familiar, Jesus had never sinned, meaning he'd never done anything wrong, so a baptism of repentance seems kind of weird or odd. So why would he do this? Well, some scholars believe that uh, this was for a couple of reasons. One, uh, that that, that Jesus wanted to get baptized so that he could fulfill something that the prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah, prophesied that he would identify with sinners, meaning that he had walked that journey that a sinner or someone who had messed up all of us would walk. Also, Jesus said that being baptized would fulfill all righteousness, meaning that, that through his baptism, he was taking this first step of fulfilling mankind's ultimate redemption and the righteousness that they will experience through him. And as Jesus walks into the Jordan River that day, 
Can you imagine what this was like? John was this really rough around the edges guy. He was like dressed in animal fur and, and the Bible says he ate locust and honey. So like his teeth probably like all rotted and he's got like locust pieces in his teeth. And, you know, he was really loud and obnoxious and boisterous. And he wasn't like this nice, you know, put together person that had it all figured. He was just a kind of a, a wild guy. But this is also Jesus' cousin. And he's out in the river and he's telling people and calling them to repentance. And people are coming in mass to be baptized by John. And, and now all of a sudden Jesus walks out and he walks into the Jordan. I mean, can you imagine the moment? I don't know if anyone standing around would have understood like the, the depth and, and the remarkable moment they were experiencing. Was Jesus walks into the Jordan. John takes him by the hand. He lowers him into these living waters of baptism, the Jordan River, and something remarkable happens, like different than had ever happened before for him. In verse 16, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. There are two big things we learn here about Jesus in this moment that I think are so important about how Jesus started his ministry. The first is Jesus started with an awareness of how his story fit into the bigger picture of Scripture and God's ultimate story. He recognized the context in which he was living. As Jesus baptized as John baptized Jesus, one of the prophecies uh, of Isaiah uh, was being fulfilled right before their eyes. It's recorded in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. It says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, speaking of the Messiah, speaking of who Jesus was. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In the form of a dove in this moment, the Spirit of God literally was resting on him, fulfilling this prophecy, fulfilling what God had written. Uh, so, so not only was uh, Jesus just getting baptized by John, but he was literally stepping in to the fulfillment of Scripture. He recognized the context uh, of what he was doing and how he was living, that it was all in light of Scripture. The second thing we see is how Jesus uh, realized that, that what he needed most was an affirmation of God the Father's presence. It was the confirmation of Christ's calling by God the Father that ultimately started his ministry. Like Jesus didn't have a ministry before this until God the Father affirmed the calling, what God had done in his life. And this last one is so huge. The, 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 the will of God can be so confusing sometimes. We're, we can try to pursue it in a lot of different ways. And I get asked all the time, like, how do I know the will of God for my life? And, and I don't know if you've ever asked that question of yourself. Or ask your question of, that, of God or of someone else. God, how do I know the will of God for my life? And it can be asked in a lot of different contexts and forms. Like, uh, you could be asking, like, how do I know the will of God for my life? For, for what job or career you should pursue? To, to who should I marry? To, to even, like, should I go with a soft taco or a crunchy one? Like, it runs the gamut, right? And, and, and the response we might hear is, you know, listen to wise counsel evaluate your strengths or your weaknesses, especially if we're talking about like soft taco, crunchy taco, you know, evaluate those strengths, those weaknesses, or, or even your own desires or interests, or, or maybe, you know, someone, and you've asked that question, they suggested, do what seems to fit the trajectory of your life up to that point. Maybe you've heard that. Like these are all really good, sometimes even biblically based things we can hear and counsel and, and advice we can be given. And while those are good, Jesus shows us something 
that we all actually should do before any of that. Before any of that, if we're trying to discover, like, is this God's will? Like, for Jesus, he's, he's, he's aware of God's will. He's the son of God. But he's stepping into God's will in this moment at the age of 30. He's stepping into the purpose. Like, he was born to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem for, for these years, from age 30 to 33. Like, his entire existence was to, to, to live out these three years of ministry and to die on the cross and rise again. And, and, and in this moment, he steps into that purpose, he steps into that will, he steps into that sweet spot, if you will, of what he was on this earth to do when these two things happen. Here it is. Uh, for, first, first we see uh, that, that in the, in the, in the, in the uh, scope of his ministry, he recognized the power of God's word. And if you're struggling, maybe to find your way in life, you're struggling to determine if you're on the right path, going in the right direction. In this Lenten season, let's look at Jesus' life, how he started. And, and I know we're not starting a new year. It's, it's March already. If you are starting a new year, you're a little late to the game. Uh, but we're, we're stepping into the Lenten season. And as we step into the Lenten season, as I mentioned before, this is an opportunity to pause and take a step back and to say, God, like, do I need, do I need to to change some things? Do I need to work on some things? And there's two questions that we see in, in, in what Jesus did that I think we need to ask ourselves. The first is, your, is your life aligned with the story of Scripture? I, I know Jesus was the Messiah, and, and sure enough, like, he is the Messiah. He's supposed to be aligned with Scripture because he's like the Son of God and everything. But, but, but actually, God desires this for all of us. He didn't just desire this for Jesus. Like, our story, our lives should be aligned with the story of Scripture. Like, like does your life reflect the life that the Bible calls us to? Are there things in your life that you need to stop doing or things in your life you need to start doing? Does your life reflect what God's word says? When you read through the Bible, don't ask yourself, what does this mean? But, but rather, ask yourself, does my life reflect this? And if not, how can I apply this? When we get wrapped up in what does this mean, it's not a bad thing, but we're pursuing knowledge and it's just head knowledge. But God wants us to pursue wisdom. And wisdom is found when we can apply that knowledge. When we can apply what we're learning. And ask yourself, uh, does my life match up to what I'm reading? Or, or how can I apply what I'm reading? Sometimes it's a principle that you read in like the book of Proverbs or in scripture that Jesus is teaching in the gospels. Sometimes it's just a story because there's a lot of scripture that's just narrative. And sometimes it's just a story where you're learning a lesson from someone that may be a mistake they've made or, or, or something they've done right or wrong that you can apply to your life. It, it, it's what's beautiful about scripture. Scripture has so many different forms of, of literature from narratives to uh, learning principles to, to uh, poetry, so many different forms. But when we read it, it's not meant to be read for the sake of reading or the obligation or the ritual of it. It's meant to be applied to your life. So is your life aligned with the story of Scripture? We talked about this last month, but our, our, our lives should be a living, breathing reflection of what we read in Scripture, the promises, the principles, the priorities. And my question for you is, are you aligned? It's, how is your alignment with God's Word? How is your life aligned with God's Word? Jesus, as he went out to, to John outside of Jerusalem in that wilderness, was stepping into scripture. Why? Because he understood the importance of being aligned with God's word. If you want to see God's purposes, 
his dreams. You know, the Bible says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in a future. It's in Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a great promise to hold on to. But we oftentimes want to see the fulfillment of those promises without taking the path that God has you to get you to those promises. What's the path? It's right here. It's in God's word. It starts there, okay? It's, it's aligning your life with his word. It's starting with his word, and that's where Jesus started. And the second question is, are you cultivating the presence of God in your life? Like, it's not just about head knowledge. You know, the, the, the early uh, church, or in the first century, the, the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they, they had head knowledge of the Old Testament, of the Torah. They were incredibly intelligent. They had memorized uh, basically the entire Torah. They could quote it on command. They knew it really well, but they weren't cultivating the presence of God. It's the combination of these two. I know this can sound super spiritual, but I'm telling you it's a huge part of following Jesus. Is God's presence a part of your everyday life? Not just your church life, not just something you do on Sunday morning. Is God's presence part of your everyday life? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and, and he says this, he says in verse 16, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, listen to this, for this is the will of This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Like he just said, this is God's will. Wow, that's a pretty bold statement. Another translation here says, instead of pray continually, it says pray without ceasing. And this statement by Paul can often be taken as this idea that we should just lock ourselves in church, go to the altar and just pray all the time. Like if God had a desire for us, it's that we could somehow raise enough money or support or something and we don't have to work a job, we don't have to raise our kids, we don't have to do any of that difficult stuff. We can come and just pray in the church all the time. Like, if that, is that praying without ceasing? Is that like what God, Paul's calling us to pray continually? That's not what Paul's talking about. How do I know that? Because that's not what he did. That's not what he's practicing. He's not talking about getting on your knees and staying there all day, but rather living a life that cultivates the presence of God as you're going through your day. That God is the first place we turn, the first thing we do, the first step we take. In Romans 12, Paul talks again about the will of God, and, and, and he says this in Romans 12 too. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the question is, how do we renew our mind? How do we identify God's good, pleasing, and perfect will? How, it seems so abstract. We do that by aligning our lives with God's story, with his word and by cultivating the rich, deep presence of God in our lives. See, we as a culture have become so detached from the presence of God and the things of God. We've become more secular, striving to further and further distance ourselves from the apparent reflections of God in society. We're trying to distance ourselves from that. And even in the church, we can distance ourselves from the presence of God. We, we might easily like kind of jump right into all the right practices, habits, or actions. We can do so without, though, the presence of God. We, we can say the right things, raise our hands at the right moments. We might even bow our heads when we're supposed to. But there's no awareness of God's presence. It's just empty religious ritual. Paul actually cautions us to avoid people like this. In 2 Timothy 3, he says, They will act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. What's he saying? He's saying, just doing the ritual but missing the presence of God is bad. It's dangerous. 
In fact, it could be incredibly destructive. But as Jesus was baptized, the presence of God was evident, and it was something that was not only present there in the beginning, but Jesus intentionally cultivated throughout his life and ministry. As the worship team comes this morning, you know, Jesus had this amazing awareness of the Father, this ongoing communication and connection with the Father. He didn't just do that to show off because he was the Son of God. He did this to be an example for us today. How you start shows what you value most. How you start shows what you value most. And as, as we look at this, I have this question for you. How are you starting your day? How are you determining God's will and path for your life? We can learn such an important lesson from Jesus. We can learn to start with God's word and his presence. And, and if that can be our starting point, our beginning, we can live our lives in the context of that beginning, not try to fit God's word and presence into our own context. You know what we're really good at? We're really good at trying to force God's context, his word, into our context. Like, God, I'm gonna do my thing. Let's try to force you into what I'm doing. And God's saying, no, no, that's backwards. Why don't you start with my word, my presence, and fit your life into that. And if you wanna see that life that plans to prosper you, not to harm you and give you hope and future, all that stuff, you gotta take my path. Follow my word. Is your life aligned with his word? Are you cultivating his presence? And I love how Jesus came up out of the water and what God said. This is such an incredible affirmation. He says this in verse 17. I'll read it again. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well. Can you leave that on the screen for a second? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well. Please. Can I tell you, I've done a lot of premarital counseling with couples and met with a lot of people. One of, the, one of the things that has sent a lot of people off the rails in their life is missing the affirmation of a father figure in their lives. More counseling sessions and work has been done with therapists around the absence of a strong, godly father figure. And I think almost anything else. And this is what's remarkable about what we see here. Jesus was modeling something for us that the heavenly father wants to speak over you. If you're willing to let him, if you're willing to align your life with his word and, and invite his presence into your life on a regular, not just a church thing, it's a, it's a Jesus thing, it's a following Jesus thing. Like cultivate his presence. He wants to speak this over you. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. And I am so pleased in you. And you might think, well, I haven't done anything. I don't even know. Jesus hadn't done anything. He didn't go to the cross yet. He hadn't done any major miracles. He hadn't preached in front of thousands. Jesus hadn't even started his ministry yet. Isn't that crazy? He hadn't done anything yet. All he had done was live. Like, he was breathing and living, and that was it for 30 years. No record of anything else he had done, really. Nothing remarkable. And yet, Jesus comes out of the water and God says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That, that's, that's something God is speaking over you. you. You might think, ah, God, I've screwed up so many times. You can't be. No, no, no. He created you. He shaped you. He formed you. 
when you are willing to step into his word and say, God, I want to align my life with your word. Not about being religious, it's about following his word. And God, I want to invite and cultivate the presence of God, just like you do kind of a garden. God, I want to put the right ingredients, the right elements in place in my life. I want to take the time, the space, and the margin and be intentional about spending time to just talk to God in prayer and to listen to what he's speaking and to maybe even journal and write down what he's speaking to me and and to be obedient when he prompts me. And I, I want to cultivate the presence of God. When we're willing to do that, you know what we're doing? We're stepping into the arms of our heavenly father who's, who's embracing us and saying, I've been waiting for you to come home. I've been waiting for you because you were my son. You were my daughter and I deeply love you and I am so incredibly pleased at you. And before we're gonna sing a song here in a minute, before we sing it, some of you might need to hear this today. God doesn't just love you. He likes you. He's pleased with you. We get lost in the abstract grander of God loving us, that God so loved the world. Yeah, he loves me because he loved the whole world. No, God likes you. Like he likes spending time with you. He is pleased with you, with who you are and your wiring, your personality, all your quirks, and he's pleased with you. Let's take some time this year, especially this Lenten season, and cultivate the presence of God in our lives. Allow his word to challenge us and to stretch us. And if we can start there and live our lives in the context of that, you know what we get to see? We get to see what only that produces. We get to see what only God's word and his presence can produce in our lives. We, can't, we don't have to manufacture it. We don't have to fake it till we make it. We don't have to like try to, 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 to recreate it. No, only God can create what his presence and his word can do. And if you're willing to start there, like Jesus did, you get to see the supernatural things that Jesus' ministry would produce. And he said this. This is really crazy. He said to his disciples and to us, you will do even greater things than these. That's outrageous. That's insane. That's what he said. You will do even greater things than these when you're willing to follow the way that I've set up. And, and the, the first step, starting with his word and his presence. Can you stand with me this morning? Before we go, I want to sing this song. We sang it earlier about how great is our Lord, okay? And as I mentioned before, this isn't about singing some songs so we can do our religious deal. We have some margin here, okay? There's no Steelers game, you know? We don't have anything coming up uh, this afternoon necessarily. I know you might have plans. We're, we're gonna wrap up here. Let's take a few minutes in our space, in our busyness, in our schedule, and pause Don't worry about the stress of what's happening this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow, this week, like how you're gonna pay the bills. Don't worry about any of that for a second. I'm not saying you don't need to worry about that at any point, but I'm saying right now, let's just put the pause button on and let's take a moment to cultivate the presence of God in our lives. And as we do that, here's my challenge to you. Do this tomorrow morning. Do this Tuesday morning. Do do it Wednesday morning. Try to do it through this week. Starting with God's word, maybe reading a version Bible reading plan and taking a few minutes to cultivate the presence of God in your life. To remember, maybe you need to pull up Matthew 3, verse 17 and read that verse over your life every morning. God, you are, I am your son. I am your daughter. You, are, you, you love me. You are well pleased with me. You need to just remind yourself of the presence of God, your heavenly father that loves you so deeply. Before we sing the song, can we just put our hands out in front of us? God, we come before you with this physical posture of openness, of worship. 
Well, there's nothing super spiritual religious about it, but it's our physical posture. Say, God, we are inviting you into our world. We're inviting you into our lives. Holy Spirit, speak to us, God, as we take these few moments to worship you, to cultivate your presence. I pray that you would, God, invade our hearts and our minds. God, saturate us with your presence. God, let what happens today continue to take place tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that as we cultivate your presence. We thank you, God, for what you're doing. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 